Hello and welcome to Teaching English with the British Council, a podcast in which we try and provide solutions to some of the key questions being asked by English teachers around the world. Teaching English with the British Council. I'm your host, Chris Salton. In each episode, we address one such question and attempt to answer it in two ways. Teaching English with the British Council. In the first part of each episode, we hear from a British Council project, programme or publication about something which is being done to address this issue. Across the 10 episodes of the series, we hear from teachers, trainers and researchers in a wide range of contexts, including India, Lebanon, Uruguay and South Africa. Teaching English with the British Council In the second part, a leading English expert and practitioner will provide practical solutions which you can immediately try out wherever you work. Each episode of Teaching English is accompanied by a full transcript and show notes. These show notes provide additional information, a glossary of key words and links to relevant websites. Teaching English with the British Council Episode 3. How can I ensure my teaching is inclusive? Welcome to Episode 3 of Teaching English with the British Council, in which we will try to answer the question, how can I ensure my teaching is inclusive? To create positive and effective learning experiences and learning outcomes, teaching must include everybody. This means respecting difference, ensuring that learners fulfil their potential removing barriers to learning and not discriminating against any learner because of age, disability, sex, race, sexual orientation or any other part of their identity. In our report from the field this week, we visit South Africa to hear about Teaching for All, an ambitious material and teacher development project that aims to provide teachers in South Africa with the skills to teach inclusively in diverse classrooms in diverse communities. Teaching English with the British Council. Inclusive education is part of the African social-cultural way of life embedded in the values of Ubuntu. Caring, interdependence, interconnectedness, harmony, respect of human diversity, and dignity in community building and social cohesion. In South Africa, we have 11 official languages, with many more spoken across the country. And several of these languages have their own word to express a similar concept to Ubuntu. In Sivenda, when they speak about inclusivity, they talk about Tanganeza, which means acceptance. People who speak Sitsonga would say Angara, meaning to accommodate or to embrace. In Isitosa, they'll speak about Ukushanganisa, meaning bringing together. Teaching English with the British Council. My name's Nicolene Jenica, and I'm the head of the British Council South Africa's Teaching for All program. Despite huge gains made in South Africa since 1994, many children still face obstacles when accessing a quality education. 
some are denied access, while many others pass through the school system or simply drop out with learning difficulties and other barriers undetected and unsupported. Our Teaching for All program aims to combat this by developing the capacity of and upskilling classroom teachers to create more inclusive classrooms. To achieve this, we made a wide range of freely available resources such as study guides, multilingual glossaries and training videos. With children in any class, there will also be a range of behaviour. Outer behaviour is a way of communicating or concealing what is happening within. Psychosocial well-being is related to how we think and feel about ourselves, the quality of interactions we have with others, and our sense of belonging. As a teacher, it's challenging but important to understand and support the psychosocial makeup of all your learners. These materials help teachers in the beginning as well as the middle of their careers to understand that every child is unique and every child can learn and achieve and must be afforded the best opportunity to do so. Since teachers are key change agents in mainstreaming inclusion in the school system and in developing an inclusive society more generally, inclusive education must be a core part of teacher education. Teaching for all as well, teachers are how to involve to build the relationship between the community. The school is part of the community. You cannot separate the school with the community because the behavior of the school is shaped by the behavior of the community. Inclusion is not just the responsibility of the classroom teachers, but all educational stakeholders. Head teachers, parents, the school governing body, other school staff, the government, and the whole community all have a central role to play in making sure that every child is valued. The vision is very important to every single member of the school community and the stakeholders in the school. So we communicate our vision right at the very beginning of the year with the parents in our information sharing meeting. So because schools are located within communities, that community has vested interest in what the school needs to serve. So the members of that school governing body needs to be the students, it needs to be their state staff, it needs to be the teachers, it needs to be the parents, but it also needs to be community members. It needs to be counsellors, it needs to be people that are working with the community at large. In the training, we provide focused, practical classroom strategies which teachers can immediately use in their classrooms in order to make them more inclusive. Language of instruction is one specific area which has been a significant barrier to inclusivity in South Africa, particularly affecting students from disadvantaged backgrounds. Teaching for All develops teachers' capacity so that they can celebrate and help rather than punish and marginalize their multilingual learners. Scaffolding strategies support all learners in different ways. An example of a scaffolding strategy may be for a teacher to use the home or familiar language to explain a concept or to encourage a learner to respond in their familiar language. So I apply multilingualism in my class. Normally what we do is that we write a sentence in English and then we follow with their own native languages. It does help a lot by using different languages because 
that's what they know. It's their language, it's their mother tongue. So it's easier for them to understand it better. The devices that I use to teach English, uh, I use the flashcards written in different languages and then body system where they help each other in the class. The ones that are more advanced, they help these ones with their learning difficulties. And then I also have a reading corner in my class and also we have uh, the writing. I write a sentence in English and they have to translate that to their own language. Scaffolding is very important in class because that's where as a teacher you break down the lesson. Scaffolding is making things easier for the learners so that they are able to understand. Not that you are changing the questions, the questions are there but you are just accommodating everyone. Even those who have difficulties will be able to answer. One of the best aspects of the program for me is to see how positively students have responded. You can do all the training you like, but if there's no impact on the learners in the classroom, the program hasn't met its goals. Inclusion to me means everybody is being included, not being left out because of their challenges or differences. I can relate to this because when I was still very young, my friends always used to leave me out of, out of the group and I used to feel really like, like a real loner sometimes. The teacher and the learner must also create a bond, a relationship between them. Children with special needs also deserve an equal chance at education because just because they have a certain challenge does not mean they're different. Everybody has the right to have the same education, whether they are blind or deaf or can't use their legs or arms. I think what makes an excellent education is interacting with all the students. At the end of the day, we are all different and unique. You never know, you might learn something new every day from somebody else. As well as having impact at the classroom level, Teaching for All has also had an impact at the policy level. We have worked very closely with national, provincial and district level government in order to ensure that the gains made by this program in terms of inclusivity are not forgotten about. It's trying to change people's mindsets about inclusive education and seeing that it can improve the quality of education for everyone. This course is about transforming what it means to be a good teacher and it's saying that excellence sits in inclusion. It has to do with ensuring that we give expression to our commitment to social justice and human rights, to embrace all learners, irrespective of their background, uh, so that they can be part of the learning process. I'm often reminded of the African concept of Ubuntu, where I am who I am because of you. So in the classroom, the children are who they are, because of the teacher. Teaching English with the British Council. You can find out more about Teaching for All in our show notes, including project videos, materials, and ideas for how you can make your classroom more inclusive. For our second part of the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Anne-Margaret Smith. Anne-Margaret has experience of teaching and learning in a wide range of contexts. 
As she writes on her website, eltwell.com, I have had the pleasure of working with multilingual children, disgruntled teenagers, emergency rescue teams, weary factory workers, eccentric senior citizens, including a real life duchess, and culture-shocked asylum seekers. Some of my students have had sensory impairments, some are dyslexic, or some have other specific learning differences. Some have chronic illnesses or physical disabilities, and I continue to learn something from each student I work with. Anne-Margaret, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Chris. Lovely to be here. I often feel that when people introduce me, I often do think, how have I done all of that? But it's absolutely true. I have, I have covered a lot of ground in the 30 years or so that I've been teaching. And what are some of the similarities that you've seen sort of working with such a disparate group of people? The similarities, I suppose, are that they are all different, (laughs) that everybody has a goal and that the key thing is to find out how to work with that person. So, you know, it's about relationships. It's about getting to know the students, getting to know what their motivation is and then trying to adapt teaching to suit them. The report that we just heard from South Africa, one of the challenges in South Africa, as in many sub-Saharan African countries and elsewhere, is of large classes. How would you reconcile that, that sort of trying to understand the individual in that situation when you have such large classes, 50, 70, 100 students? What can teachers do? That is a tricky question. It's a question that's often asked. And of course, unfortunately, the very large classes are often in the lowest resourced contexts. I actually did my very first year of teaching in Kenya, where I had quite a large class. It was a bit of a baptism of fire. (laughs) But um, I do believe that it is still possible to implement inclusive practices. You perhaps need more creativity. But as I said before, it comes down to relationships. I know it can be really difficult to get to know that many students, but the students can get to know each other. So obviously, larger classes can be split into smaller groups and they can support each other. They can get to know each other and find out how to work together as a team, which is a a great skill to have in life anyway. I think what the teachers need to do in that context is to think about how the physical environment can be adapted And yeah, you do have to be quite creative to think, I haven't got many resources, but what do we have? One of the greatest resources you have, of course, are the students themselves. And when you've got 70 or 100 of them, that's quite quite a rich resource. (laughs) I think that's an interesting way of looking at education differently, isn't it? Sometimes teachers can feel we haven't got enough textbooks, we haven't got maps, we haven't got this, we haven't got that. We can't learn or we can't create a positive learning environment. But as you say... You know, if you haven't got students, you haven't got anything. If you have students, you have something and they are the key learning resource. Yeah, they each have their story. They each have their point of view. It's about, I suppose, nurturing a culture where they feel that they can share their experiences in terms of language learning, that they can try and that whatever they say will be valued. It's about the culture of the classroom as much as anything. As we know, sort of students thrive when they feel safe in a classroom environment, particularly when doing something difficult like learning or trying out a new language. When you've got such a range of different students and they may have these some of these issues, these special educational needs, some of which may have been diagnosed, but some which may well not have been diagnosed. How can teachers do that? How can they create a platform where those students feel safe uh, within that environment? I think it it comes down to the teacher modelling 
the kind of attitudes and behaviours that we want to see. So modelling respect, taking time to listen to students, you know, making their requests in a polite manner and thanking students when they do what they're asked to do. You know, just little things like that, just modelling respect and also projecting positive expectations onto the class and onto individuals. I think students who have additional barriers to their learning, whether it's physical disability or sensory loss or cognitive difference, the barriers to learning may not be obvious, as you said, they may not have been identified, but you might, the teacher might notice that the student has additional challenges to overcome. But that doesn't mean that they should have lower expectations. I think having positive expectations of every student is important and letting them know as well that you still believe that they can learn. And of course, not everybody is going to learn the same. Not everybody is going to learn at the same pace. You know, it comes down as well to motivation and to aspiration and what they want. If we're talking about English language teaching, what they want their English for. But definitely, I think, projecting positively onto the student our positive expectations of them, I think can change the culture of a classroom quite a lot. And I often say to my students at the, at the beginning of a course, when we get a new bunch of students, I sort of try and make it clear to them that I see us as a team. We're all working towards the same goal. We're not in competition. And really, we need to work together. And we need to help each other. So when I said before about getting to know students, I also try and find opportunity for the students to get to know each other as well, so that they understand what every one of their classmates is contributing to their learning environment. And again, that can create an atmosphere of trust, which the learning experience is better, but also the learning outcomes are better as well. And it's interesting what you're saying about students not knowing the script of education sometimes and what's expected of them in the classroom. I've seen from some of the work I've done myself with Syrian refugees in, in Lebanon, where they've had such gaps in their education or they may never have attended any kind of education or formal education before. And they don't know the, the basic script of what it means to be in a class or sitting still or how to use Pendle to borrow things or to share books or all those sorts of things. So you would say in order to create that inclusive atmosphere, it's about teaching students how to the learning to learn aspects of education as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely crucial. If you're working with students who are relatively new to education, whatever age they are, there are learning skills which will facilitate their learning. And I think that's the first step, really. What I often find that teaching in Britain now, I find that students who come to Britain to learn in whatever context, whether it's ESOL or whether it's EAP at the university, the, culture, the educational culture is probably going to be different from their home culture. And when I was working at the university teaching English for academic purposes, the fact that they called their tutors by their first names was really shocking for some students. But then they didn't understand that we, we weren't actually their friends. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it, it seemed very informal, but actually they didn't perceive where the boundaries were in terms of relationship, you know, what it was okay to say to us. So yeah, definitely spending some time at the beginning of a course talking to students about how we envisage that the class will run, what we hope that they will bring to the class, how they can navigate their way through the, the system, maybe setting up some class ground rules that they all agree to. Yeah, things like that, I think are really valuable in terms of forming a, a cohesive group. Yeah. 
And just the act of letting the students input into that those ground rules, for example, it's not something which is said by the head teacher or the class teacher. It's a, a collaborative exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we say, when when students arrive, they may not necessarily uh, have that much experience of formal education. They may have some preconceived notions of what it might be like. <laughs> so I think it's worth, you know, if you have your class contract or whatever you call it up on your wall revisiting it from time to time to see if the students still think everything on there is is valid and you know worth adhering to if they want to change anything in some places in some institutions or countries there may be resistance to more inclusive forms of education that resistance might be quite obvious and in policy or it might be more hidden what could you say to teachers who are working in those sorts of environments but want to include their students as much as possible in the life of the classroom? Well, there are a number of things that can sway the argument. I mean, one of the things is, of course, the UN Convention on Education, which most countries signed up to, which advocates for inclusive education. And then there are arguments for managers about inclusive education actually having a lot of benefits for everybody. So it improves achievement and it improves uh, certainly retention so looking at the bottom line if managers are worried about oh that's going to be too expensive or oh that's going to disrupt you know how we do things there is quite a lot of research that's been done on the benefits for everybody of inclusive education so they could they could have that discussion with their managers and sort of suggest that actually this is going to make the school better for everybody both in terms of retention and achievement then there are arguments around social justice. You know, do we want to be known as a school who values social justice or do we want to be known as a school who, you know, doesn't care about the community? And I was struck by the comment that we heard before about, I can't remember the term that was used. Ubuntu. Ubuntu is the word, I think. I would call it joined up inclusion, about getting the community involved. You can't have inclusion just in one classroom. If the rest of the school is not inclusive, that's going to be really tricky and not just the school, but the whole community. So all the stakeholders need to perhaps come together and have this discussion together about how to include every member of the community. And I think schools who take a lead on that, they have a really important role in bringing everybody together and maybe facilitating that conversation. Students who may have physical challenges or who may be neurodivergent one of the challenges particularly they face is in doing exams and participating in assessments. What support could teachers give to those students or how could schools support those students more effectively so that they have, they have an equal playing field, as it were, to participate in those forms of formal assessment? So there are a couple of things here. The first thing, of course, is the preparation for the exam. And in order to support those learners who might need to overcome particular barriers, whether it's sensory impairment, as you say, physical challenges or cognitive differences, you need to understand what the barriers are. So the first step is always getting to know the learner, possibly doing a formal assessment to find out what the barriers are, putting interventions in place so that the classroom is a level playing field for them, so that they can access a curriculum alongside all of their classmates. That's the first step, the preparation. And then in terms of the actual assessment, applying for exam access arrangements may be an option. Now, it depends a lot on the context. Generally, I would say talk to the exam board, whoever has set the exam, find out 
what kind of exam access arrangements are available, find out how to apply and do this quite a long way in advance because my experience of exam boards is that they work quite slowly. So you might need to apply for exam access arrangements six months before the exam. And if the particular arrangement that you want to apply for for your student is not available, ask them why not. Just as an example, when I was teaching ESOL a few years ago, we had a student in our cohort who had narcolepsy which meant that she would occasionally just fall asleep. She'd be out for five, 10 minutes, and then she'd be awake again, back in the room, ready to go. But she would fall asleep three or four times in a two-hour lesson. So we went to the exam board, and they said, well, she can have extra time. And we're like, well, extra time is fine, but we don't know how much extra time she's going to need because <laughs> we don't know how many times she's going to fall asleep or how long she'll be asleep for. So in the end, we had negotiated that she could have what they call rest breaks. So... And she had to obviously have the exam in a separate room with a separate invigilator with a separate clock. And whenever she fell asleep, stop the clock and just wait for her to come to again, start the clock. So sometimes you need to have really quite individual arrangements. And if the exam board is not offering that, it's definitely worth going and saying, this is what we need for these reasons. Can we do this? Because exam boards have their way of doing things. They may not always be aware of the individual needs. So don't be afraid to suggest something different and really push for it for your students. Absolutely. And it may also just be, like you say, if you know your students' needs, if they have if they have poor sight, for example, it may be making sure that they can sit wherever they feel they can uh, read as effectively as possible, or if they're hearing impaired and it's a listening exam, sitting as close as possible to the machine where it's coming from. So again, even in low resourced environments, there may be still things that can be done to support those students as effectively as possible. Absolutely, there are, yeah. And the best person to ask about what will be necessary will be the student themselves. And Margaret, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure, Chris. Thank you for inviting me on here. One of the best and most interesting things about teaching is the diversity of our learners. Each learner is an individual and has their own personality, their own interests, their own skills and their own challenges. It's up to us as teachers to try and create a classroom atmosphere in which each individual feels comfortable. This is not always easy, but it is something we should try to achieve as well as we can. Thank you for listening to this episode of Teaching English with the British Council. We hope you enjoyed it. Please do like, subscribe and review. And please remember to download the show notes and transcripts. Join us next time for episode four, where we will try to answer the question, how can I teach refugees, migrants and IDPs effectively? Until then, goodbye. Teaching English with the British Council.